0: You're listening to the Spruce and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 213 of the Spruce and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. And Jay, hello. I believe poor Andy is slaving away, earning his keep, um, <laughs> working whatever he's doing. I don't know. I'm sure he's very busy. And <laughs> um, but corpse starch, I reckon. Yeah, probably. Um, but we are here to do another podcast for you guys. Uh, switching back to the old fortnightly um, podcast mm-hmm. now. Um, you all wanted it, so we're giving it to you. Um, Which well, to be fair, I have missed us having our chats on this podcast um so yeah it's great to to be doing them a bit more regularly um so what are we going to be talking about this week our main segment is actually concentrating on something not warhammer related there's been quite a few episodes actually where we've um kind of talked about different parts of the hobby Uh, and this week matt i believe
1: you had a, a super special interview with um the guys behind conquest I did, yeah. I chatted it to uh, Leandros from Parabellum about Conquest, which has recently had a second edition. So we we're talking all about that, all about the lore for the different factions and uh, how the kind of miniatures have evolved over time. So really fun one. Safe to say,
0: if you like Warhammer Fantasy, it's, it's an interview to listen out for, I I would say. Uh, also on the podcast, we have the re- a returning top three. We, we didn't have one really last week. We sort of did with the... Um, reveals from adepticon but we have got a proper top three this week and it's quite a broad one as we're going to be picking out our favorite weapons from the world of warhammer um so this could be anything from the humble laz pistol to i don't know um an age of sigmar axe wielding oruk or something i don't know um so that's
2: yeah that's not a weapon was... dave that's actually someone that wields a weapon well the the axe that the oruk is you, smashing the... people's faces with
1: which axe? is it specific axe or just axe in general just 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 a bad example improvised weapon improvised I'm, acts
0: I'm sure if all that's listeners... your top three dave then um yeah <laughs> yeah, a bit of an insight into my top three I'm sure the listeners understand what I'm trying to say, um so that is our top three later on in the show uh, and of course we we will be reading out some of the community top three picks as well um before we get stuck into the um intro and what we've been doing in the the hobby uh, since our last podcast just a reminder that you can join us on discord all the details are on spruzenbrues.com uh, and you can also back us on patreon and again links are all on spruzenbrues.com uh so since the adepticon episode of the podcast let's start with you jay what have you been up to in the hobby
2: well i've been um, clearing me hobby desk and making room for dinosaurs in anticipation for the Seraphon being released, <laughs> ooh, ooh. Um, so, so and I've been looking at all my sort of Seraphon coloured paints, getting them all in order. I, I, I can't wait for these guys to come out, so we so we can start painting them.
1: Yeah, um, you've you've not kind of felt the um the 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 Age of Sigmar hype for a uh, while, well, have you? But I know you've been super keen for this one.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean it was the Lumineth really was the last army that really got me invested in Age of Sigmar um and then yeah since then i've not really fancied playing or been too excited about it but i think that's what's really good sometimes about uh these reveals that we get from games workshop they can really pique your interest in a system again can't they that you've not touched for a while Mm. um so i do enjoy them for that reason and yeah i mean the new seraphon range from what we've seen looks fantastic so can't wait to 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 to, to purchase them and, and get them painted um in the meantime however um i've had the Horacy, uh horus heresy itch again i'm now Painted my third horus heresy army <laughs> um so i've been working on some blood angels and we've been lucky enough today to pick up uh, doubles tickets to the throne of schools event in july yeah, yeah
1: um
2: so we've been talking over the last few days about what kind of list we'll take and that kind of thing if we manage to get a ticket uh, and i'll be taking 1500 points of blood angels which is a really nice target i think to aim for by july um mm. So yeah, so I've been um, I've been I've been messing around with uh, Blood Angel schemes, um, different ways like a like a, a more traditional sort of bright red type colour with nice crisp edge highlights, what well, crisp as I can make them, um, which is how I sort of traditionally paint my 40k armies. But on the Horus Heresy, I've been experimenting with a more battle worn look. So my Imperial fists were all sort of lots of mud on them and scratches on them, and then I refined that a little bit with the custodians, where I tried to use some of the oils and oil paints to get like a weathered gold effect. Um and then I I I'm trying something different with the Blood Angels again, still trying to keep them in that sort of battle worn, he, heavily weathered type um, look. Because I do think that sort of gritty, grimdark look suits the Horus Heresy armies. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it really does. Um so um yeah, so I've i painted up a squad of Tactical Marines, they're on Twitter if you uh, you know you want to check them out. And um and just today actually I I I'm I'm just putting the finishing touches on Chapter to Master Alderon. He'll be leading my army in July. Um so- so, actually, I've
0: just been catching up on our um, our private WhatsApp chat because uh, it was a bit busy before we started recording. And I've
2: just come across your latest work in progress pictures, Jane. He looks amazing. Yeah, I've really enjoyed painting him. And, and, I mean, it's a really, really – what's really good is it's a very, very quick sort of painting method that I've used. So, it, it, I believe Richard Gray had a tutorial online on how to paint some some Blood Angels, and I've sort of tried to copy him. And it's very much stippling to build up the sort of texture on the model. Mm. Um and it's worked really nicely. So I managed to get a squad of ten taps coming done in, in a couple of nights. Um and then Raoul, believe it or not, he's probably taking me about three or four hours tops to paint. Um wow. so so I think I, I should should using this technique I should be able to sort of um get get a Blood Angels army done done pretty quickly. Excellent. Um, yeah, in between that as well, I don't know, I think, I don't think we could talk about it on the last podcast, but um, I know myself and Matt, we were lucky enough to paint up some models for Warhammer Community, um, so I painted up uh, the new Commander Farsight model, um, Yeah, Oh. and he's he's on the Warhammer Community website, so you can have a look, I painted him up in the white viola scheme, really, really nice model, <laughs> I mean, they've done this quite a lot recently, haven't they, with um, sort of iconic characters, Mephiston I remember, he got a new re- mm. uh, sculpt, Um I, I, and far sight, and, and I think Snickrot as well was it was a, a plastic sculpt of an old model, wasn't it?
1: It was, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: But they've um, they've done a really really good job of sort of keeping the 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 feel of the character and the sort of nostalgic feel of it, um, but giving it a bit of an upgrade with you know sharper detail and really nice dynamic pose. Really really great fun painting that model. Excellent, yeah, amazing job you've done on that far sight, Jay. <laughs> Tempting me
0: to get a battle army again. Uh, we're going to jump to me, actually, uh, because as Jay said, he's trying to clear his hobby desk. I don't think my hobby desk has been busier than it is right now. <laughs> um, th- I've got so many. De- <laughs> I-, I need to get stuff finished so I can clear um the work that's on my desk so well what am i painting at the moment well first and foremost i'm painting my commandos for the kill team event that were going in june um they're actually probably about 50 percent done i think i should really just concentrate and get them finished and then it's kind of out of the way but I'm, I'm still really enjoying painting those orcs um i do want to turn them into a into a 40k army at some point but i think that's going to have to wait a little bit longer but yeah they're, they're really characterful models it's really fun to paint them i just need a game of kill team now so i can actually know what i'm doing um but yeah they're, they're really cool um speaking of kill team i've also been slowly chipping away at the gallow dark scenery so every now and again I, I pick up a panel and and do a bit more it's one of those where uh, i know andy's been sort of trying to get his all, all done in one go but i, I think it would drive me a bit crazy so I'm kind of chipping away at the panels every now and again. It'll take a while for me to finish, um, but I should be really happy with the, the end results, and it means I can get other hobby done in between, um, which is cool. So I think it'll be it'll be fun for us to play um, some kill team on a, a fully painted Gallo Dark. Gotta get um, some practice in. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so what else have I, have I have I been doing? I've also had a bit of the Heresy bug, um, and I've been I've been kind of picking out my Dark Angels Heresy working on a couple of things um for them which I, I can't really talk about at the moment. Um, but that's been really fun. Um I was all, I was nearly coming to this heresy event with you guys but um I've I've managed to resist. Um but maybe the next one, maybe when I've got my Dark Angels finished I'll be able to go along to a yeah. a heresy event.
2: They are good fun.
0: Yeah. Uh what else have I got on my painting desk? Um I've I've also kind of been chipping away at the guard as well um although not so much um recently uh, i'm trying to think if there's anything else i thought my desk was fuller than that
2: but maybe that's it on the 40k side like your guard i don't know about you but obviously with 10th edition round the corner we're starting to get i know warhammer community are posting articles about the changes in the game and that mm. kind of thing i think the hype for 40k and, and and painting a 40k army will come again in the summer or whether that's your guard, Dave, or a different force, I don't know. I,
0: I don't know. I think I'm the opposite. I think I, I'd like I'd like to get my guard completely done, ready for the new edition. Oh all right, okay. Just kind of yeah. give me a little bit of a goal. And I have realized the other thing that I'm doing. Um, I'm also trying to paint along with the Stormbringer magazine series. Uh, from from Hatchet Parkworks. I'm trying to paint the Stormcast. Um, so I've I've fully completed the Lord Arcanum on foot that originally came with Dominion. Um, and then we had a bit of a. A friendly painting. It wasn't an official painting stream, was it? But it was the Fray of us doing some painting the evening and I managed to make a good start on my Vindictors and also a Lord Arcanum on uh Dracoline. So uh yeah, really enjoying painting Stonecast. Um I did previously have a Stonecast army um some sort of well, maybe over a year ago now, um, but they have now gone. They were one of my first Age of Sigma armies. So I wasn't really happy with how they look, so it's good kind of starting them again um afresh. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to to trying them out when I've got a, a force big enough painted. So yeah, I think I've been pretty pretty busy, really. Um, Matt, that just leaves your your good self. What have you been up to?
1: Well, what I've been up to since you guys started talking about what you've been up to is ordering an entire army for this uh, <laughs> uh, is doubles, I've just seen the receipts uh, <laughs> in the WhatsApp <group. laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, as Jay mentioned, I've been doing the doubles, and I've been wanting to do a White Scars army for since first edition i think jay and i picked up a few uh, jet bikes and stuff but just uh, th- my kind of vision of a white scars army is a massive of jet bikes based on the i forget which book it. i think it may be satanine where they do a big like cavalry charge on the jet bikes You need to
2: read warhawk map.
1: between now uh, and july
2: you need to read warhawk
1: well that's the goal now that's the goal now so yes i want to do a full cav white scars army because i think that'd be amazing um unfortunately even at 1500 points that's a lot of jetpikes so um i've ordered i've ordered some bits for that so really excited to get them on it so that have been doing though obviously jay mentioned that we've been painting the uh the the new characters for the boarding patrol boxes so i painted up a snickrot and i did something a bit different compared to my other orcs and i don't think it really matters with orcs having a mishmash of different styles but i went very kind of comic booky maybe it's inspired by the kind of marvel crisis protocol stuff that i've been painting but i I think comic book colors kind of really works for orcs without the vivid green and stuff yeah so yeah a bit of a different looking snick rot um i've also been working on the gondor scenery so, this stuff's incredible uh I don't know if you Dave you might have be seen this in the yeah, flash
0: I have yeah um,
1: but they're they're amazing kits. We're we'll going be talking about them a little bit later on in the show but um yeah they they are really, really fun to paint up, so if you check out spruce and I've got a painting guide on there and a guide to make your tower destructible, Ooh. which I really wanted to when when we got the box and I saw that you could build it as a ruined tower and an intact tower. The first thing I did was look through all the sprues and see if I could build it in such a way that I could make it, you know, get destroyed during a battle, so if you're doing a siege or something and it gets hit and then you can have it, you know, fall to bits. And yes, yes you can, which is very very cool. Um I've also been painting up Ivia Volga for the Soul Blight Gravelords. She's a cracking model. Oh, so is it, the werewolfy. Vampire. Yeah, werewolf vampire lady. <coughs> This'll be this will be on pre order by the time you're listening to this. It may already be in your hands by the time you're listening to this. But I, I really, really like this model. Same kind of vibe as the Curse City stuff. She is um the same like family name as uh Bella Dama. So yeah, she's really cool. Um also painted up the sanctioner for Necromunda, the uh, the Enforcer robot, the the um, Law to Martyr as they call oh. it. This
0: this 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 robot nearly made me go out and buy a, a box of enforcers. He's ace.
1: It's so cool. It's, and and the the, the law of it sounds very very familiar. So if a cop is like fatally injured during battle, they'll salvage what parts of him they can and put it into a mechanical body so he can continue to uphold the law in robotic form definitely mm. seen that film definitely seen that mm. film but yeah they're really cool you get two to a box so a load of weapon options are quite expensive in points and you can only take two of them in your gang so don't worry you're not going be having facing you know an entire army of robot uh cops but uh yeah i need to paint up my enforcers because i think when we do our next next under campaign um I, i'm i'm gonna be like uh kind of arbitrating it but i'll have some bounty hunters and some cops on standby to to step in and put things right if if a <laughs> certain gang gets too far ahead um i've also been building up some bolt action stuff so bolt action is a um historical war game uh world war Two themed uh from uh warlord games and um my, my granddad was in the desert rats so i've been building up a um a british Desert War Army for that. There's a little bit of, little bit of flavour, something else to do. And amazing. finally, the other day, the Dark Fantastic Mills Crawler arrived for said Necromunda campaign because it's nice to have a few big, you know, line of sight blocking pieces on here. But it basically looks like the big Jawa Crawler. It's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it so, well, yeah. Cool. so yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy week
0: really for the hobby yeah well busy couple of weeks nice one Matt I think I think we've all been uh, hard at it on the hobbying um that's of course the the intro to this week's podcast in the can but we've got plenty to get for including that exclusive interview with Parabellum um so yeah let's uh, move on to the news in the next segment
1: What do we have in this week's news, Matt? So it's again a pretty exciting week for news. Considering last time we had uh, Adepticon and kind of we got all the excitement out of our system. There's been a lot of exciting stuff on Warcom this week. So first of all, guys, we have got Warhammer Fest coming up very very soon. I'm super excited. It's this month. That's how close it is. Um, you guys are going on a Monday. I'm going to be probably walking asleep by the monday because i'd be knackered from all the warhammer going on for that weekend but the, <laughs> the, the the big selling point of warhammer fest is going to be the very first place you can get to play 10th edition warhammer 40,000, and you'll be able to see the entire contents of the launch box as well for the first time oh, so wow. that's very very cool uh, there's going to be demo games going. They're going to have uh, models. It wouldn't surprise me if you know on the the kind of um, kind of uh, paint tables where they have you know an assortment of paints and some models. It wouldn't surprise me if it was you know maybe a Terminator or a Termigant that you can paint up as well. So yeah, that that is be very very cool. Now they've mentioned that there's going to be a few other events that they you know hadn't previously announced so there's multiplayer show up and play scenarios so there'll be a games master running a multiplayer game and you can rock up and take part in this massive multiplayer game it's like the games days of old guys it's been a long time since they have done something like that isn't it yeah
2: yeah yeah uh, uh, big sort of participation games are cool
1: yeah so uh there's also be three just to paint again wouldn't surprise me if for 10th edition related um and obviously the golden demon and mega armies on parade it's titled as um and there's also going to be the warhammer board gaming bar and cafe where you can play warhammer underworlds warhammer board games and uh, be able to try out warhammer products and there'll be booths demoing all the various Warhammer video games. So I'm really, really excited for, for Warhammer Fest. It sounds, it does sound like classic games days. Obviously, there's lots of tournaments and events on as well. It's like almost like some of the US events, isn't it, now? You have a big exhibition hall for three days with all sorts of events on. Um, don't forget, there's, there's the Kill Team laser tag as well, where I think there's limited tickets left. So I think I might have to try and snag one of them because it'd be really, really fun. Now talking of 10th edition, um there's been quite a few bits that that Warhammer community been drip feeding over the last few days. I suspect this will continue into, you know, the, the rest of the month and then obviously that'll lead up to Warhammer Fest for the grand reveal of everything. So It'll be, you know, lots of little news every day, which is quite fun to do. I, I kind of wish we had it all in one go, but I'm just greedy. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> well,
2: they should do, like, a compendium post at the end with it all in, because, like, now you are going through Warhammer community looking for each individual article. Someone out there must be compiling all of the info we've learned from ten. So someone out there, Spruce and Bruce,
1: compiled <laughs> together all the news from the um, the um first event. And that is exactly what I'm going to plan on doing, Jay. Have yeah. a little, maybe a weekly post gathering together all the, the news that we've learned yeah, so we far. About 10th, Yep. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Now, one thing that dropped today was the new um lieutenant. Now, oh, note yeah. interestingly, it is just Space Marine lieutenant. It isn't a primaris lieutenant. It's Ooh, a I didn't space ring, that. lieutenant, I didn't know and this is that. something that we've seen with the Terminators as well. They're not necessarily Primaris, but they're not necessarily firstborn. Is this finally us seeing things blurring together? And this is just a lieutenant. He's big. He's cool. He might have crossed the Rubicon Primaris, but maybe that just doesn't matter from a rules point of view anymore. Oh man, uh, that
0: would I, be cool. If I can put Primaris Deathwatch in a Corvus Blackstar. I'm buying more Corvus Black Stars.
1: Yeah, that'd, that'd always, that'd always be something that the uh, the marketing bods might want you to dip at Games Workshop. Uh, and and speaking
0: about Deathwatch, I know, I know, obviously this this guy's painted on Warcom as an Ultramarine, as like a Tyrannic War veteran. This dude needs to be painted in Death Watch colours. He's got a Tyrannid head on his shoulder. Oh man, it's so cool! It
2: it's just the best i done. You just made me think uh, he's got a Tyrannid head on his shoulders. Just just made me think that it's a Tyrannid wearing power armor. He's got he's got some Tyrannid carapace on his shoulder pad.
1: See, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm I'm only half paying attention because I'm reading my notes, but all I heard was Tyrannid head and shoulders, which is a completely <laughs> different product. <laughs> maybe maybe that's what you can try out in the uh, the Warhammer bar at Warhammer Fest. Um, but yeah, this guy looks really cool, doesn't he? Obviously, we saw this guy in the in the trailer, and we kind of ooh, what if we do get uh, Tyrannic War veterans? And technically, we have. He's just a, a hero, which is a nice way of doing it, isn't it? Mm. So yeah, yeah, he looks he looks cool. really really cool. Um, and also, a bit of a different painting style for the ultramarines this time round. It's it's, it's closer to the yeah, as you say, it's closer to like the heresy scheme of stuff, a bit darker and weathered looking, which I really like.
2: Yeah, it is cool.
1: Maybe uh, I don't know, going from like a, a shaded down cantor blue or something maybe for a change. But yeah, that looks really cool. So presumably every day or so we're going to start seeing models now, and you know. Basically, it's all about when do I get to see that beautiful screamer killer? <laughs> oh yeah. Now, if you if you've got an army currently, I know a lot of people have been a little bit concerned about how how armies are built in the new edition, how all that works, and we got a few little nuggets at the uh, the stream at Adepticon, but uh, Warcom shared kind of the big thing about how flexible the army building is in the new edition. So. It's it, it It reminds me of the stuff that we've seen in the recent Age of Sigmar books with the how to build an army bit at the start, which I really like. But mm. essentially, first of all, you pick your battle size. There are three battle sizes in 10th edition. Incursion, which is 1,000 points. strike force, which is 2,000 points. And Onslaught, which is 3,000 points. In addition to that, you've got the um, Combat Patrol sub-game, which is a self-contained thing where you just use the contents of a Combat Patrol. And then you've got boarding actions as a separate thing, which is 500 point games. So I know, I think Andy maybe last week was kind of a bit concerned that thousand point games were going away and being replaced with these other two modes. That's not the case. I think that's really cool that there's kind of like three different ways of playing smaller games now. Yeah. Uh, they also mentioned that power levels are no more. Oh, Both okay. crusade and match play games will use points, which power is quick for putting an army together but what we've found is that they go out of date really quickly compared to points don't they? Yeah they yeah. do it's So you know it's, it might take a little bit longer to make your army but Games Workshop say there will be a full army builder fully working and good to go day one so maybe power won't really be an issue if it's all kind of built behind this kind of digital way of doing the rules this time which again is pretty cool so then you pick your army roster so again it's the same you pick your army what changes really is your faction and detachment rules so your faction is basically you know eldari chaos Beastmen, means whatever and then you have your detachment now it's not like the um the the kind of force organization chart that we had last time instead picking your detachment gives you access to unique stratagems and enhancements that replace previous ones. So where currently we've got like 28 stratagems per army, there might be 28 stratagems per codex, but you're only going to ever have access to six of them. So you go for a vanilla army, you get six. You They give an example of a gladius task force, gives you a unique oath of moment, gives you access to six unique stratagems that replace the ones for the generic space marines and for exclusive enhancements as well so that's a better way of doing it we saw a little bit of this towards the tail end of 40k as well didn't we
0: yeah we did so
1: the um the 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 world eaters are a good example where you could pick either the the mortal stuff or the demon stuff as a sub build and then based on which one of them you picked you got a handful of stratagems Uh, Exactly the same in uh, boarding actions as well, where you've got a handful of stratagems and a handful of enhancements. And it looks like this enhancement thing. When we speculated on this, when we first saw the boarding action rules is a thing in 40k as well. What's interesting is that um, each character can only have one enhancement. So Mm. if you take your general... He couldn't have, say, a relic and a command trait. He'd have to oh. pick, and then other heroes would be able to have an enhancement. And you're limited to three enhancements across the entire army. I think that's good because it does stop some of the silly combos. You've got to pick which one you want.
0: I, yeah, I, I can appreciate it from that point of view. I, I will slightly miss up your warlord though, uh, especially in like crusade. I oh, suppose crusade's different because it's open play, but yeah, I. I I, I can see why they've done it. Um I'm I'm not gonna grumble too
2: much, but I did used to like tooling up the warlord. Yeah, my initial feeling to that is oh but when when you look back, there was always a combination of of um warlord trait and relic, you know, which was always a no brainer. Yeah. yeah, and that, um, that
1: makes this building more interesting, doesn't it? Do yeah. you take the, the really good relic or the really good command trait? Well, you can take them both, but you're going to have to be on different heroes. It should make the list building a little bit more interesting as well, because you can't have, you can't have your cake and eat it, can you? You've got to pick one of the two. Yeah. Didn't so like so yeah. I, I do like cake too. So so I, I I quite like the look. Obviously, we don't know much about this detachment system, but I suspect it'd be like, I don't know. So we had a couple of different Blood Angel Wands, Jay, that gave you different play styles from those stratagems and and relics. It makes it a worthwhile choice picking your sub-faction, doesn't it, then? Yeah. It also means that if they're more generic, more like the rights of war from heresy, so it may not necessarily be a Blood Angels detachment. It could be a, a detachment focused around heroes or a detachment focused around infantry or a detachment that leans towards a tank company or something. Those can then apply to whichever way you paint your army as well. So hopefully we see a little bit more of that as we go forward. Um, Your army has to have at least one character, and you can have a maximum of one of each epic hero. So essentially, this is the same as what we've got now. Named heroes, you can only take one of in your army, but you could take multiple named heroes if you want to. The same detachment can only be taken three times within an army, but battle line units and dedicated transports be taken six times, and they have mentioned again uh based on your um detachment choice, your battle line will change as well, so so far it sounds very, very similar to the rights of war j where there might be ways to do an army that can have lots and lots of bikes if you want mm. but the thing that you gonna have to bear in mind is your your kind of um your um o c objective control objective control. Yeah, yeah. control and all stuff like that so. It'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, I want to see more of it. But from what they've shared, I think building an army is going to be way easier than it used to be. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think so. It it doesn't sound very complicated. I just want to see. I just want to see
1: everything. (laughs) Yeah, we're not far off now. We're not far off now. They also shared a bit more on the data sheets today, too. So, um, profiles have changed a little bit. Now, we talked about weapon skill and ballistic skill moving to the weapon, which is a great change, because you can now point things very differently based on the weapon skill behind them, can't you? Yeah. Like, a plasma gun on a guardsman can be a different points limit than a plasma gun on a space marine, because they are going to have different stats, because one will shoot better than the other. Mm-hmm. Everything else should be a lot more balanced now. Uh, leadership has changed. It is now a value with a plus after it. You have to roll higher than your leadership to pass. No more working out maths to try and work mm. out the battle shot tests. Instead I mean, I get... a space marine, for example, now has a leadership value of six plus. If you roll over six on two D six, you pass your bravery check.
2: Cool. They, I mean they could still use modifiers in some in some aspects of the game as oh, well. Yeah, and but that's much easier, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, having a a a six plus roll on two dice even if you're like a minus two modifier or something it's just easier to work it in your head rather than okay well how many guys have died plus the dice roll compared to my value. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit confusing wasn't it and yeah. obviously we've talked about objective control is a new stat in the game certain units will have higher objective control stats than others to represent how good they are at taking objectives now what it does mention in here that leadership is way more important now than it ever has been in 40k um battleshock tests are taken for various things including being below half strength during the command phase so if you've Ooh. got a squad of i don't know a lot of people at the minute take tiny little squads don't they to get around blast weapons but obviously the downside of that is once you start losing a couple of models you might have to take a battle shock test because the couple of guys who are left are a little bit nervous that the mates are dead if you fail the battle shock test you struggle to capture objectives use stratagems or you'll just fall away from combat and run and hide. I really, my like, yeah, I really like that failing Battleshock tests could stop you from using stratagems. Because yeah, now again, you've got another interesting thing there where actually there's a reason to take squads over 10 men now and you just have to to grin and take the, the consequences of blast weapons or do you want the benefits of extra bodies to keep on the table from a morale point of view?
2: Yeah, this could be really cool. With like traditionally, where you've got armies like Night Lords and Dark Eldar, which sort of play on that fear and terror aspect, they can really come into their own. Hopefully, now in these with this new mechanic.
1: Yeah, yeah. should be should be really fun. They also shared a few weapon profiles again. AP. I'm not seeing a weapon with AP yet. That looks fairly rare. Um, they gave an example of a Primaris close combat weapon is three attacks, at weapon score three, strength four, AP zero, one damage. So now like, oh, he's got one attack on his profile, but he gets for extra attack for charge, and he gets extra attack because it's a Tuesday. All of that will have <laughs> baked into their profile, which again, from a gameplay point of view, that just makes things a lot easier, doesn't it?
2: I wonder if the lion will still have 20
1: attacks. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Probably not. Um... So yeah, so and then there's now Universal Special Rules that then cover all the other different stuff as well. So it looks like some inspiration has been taken from Heresy, and I think that's a good thing, isn't it? Hmm. Heresy
0: and Sigmar, I feel.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I'm excited. Obviously, we've not got long to wait. because uh, We'll be able to play the game ourselves at, at Warhammer Fest, but I suspect maybe even by the next podcast goes out, we might have a better grasp of kind of what's in there because I think we'll have a rapid fire reveal of all the rules now. Now, unfortunately, the obviously tenth edition is coming the uh, ninth edition is coming to an end and we've got the final book on the horizon, The Lion. Alongside this, we're getting the final two boarding patrol boxes. And I think it's safe to say these boarding patrol boxes have been super popular, haven't they? They have, yeah. They've flown off the shelves. Um and you've been tempted by a lot of these there, uh, Dave as well. Oh well, yeah I'm surprised I've bought. not bought one yet. Yeah, I'm surprised too. There's a really nice one coming out for the Leagues of OTAN. That actually combos really nicely with the Combat Patrol box, or if you had the the launch box. Um, So it's got five Earnhir Hearthguard, ten Hearthkin Warriors, uh, five Cthodian Berserks, and an Earnhir Champion. My my dwarven isn't very great. I hope they got those right, Jay.
2: <laughs> yeah, it sounded right to me.
1: But you've got you've got uh, with that combined with the uh, combat patrol. I think you've got every unit available, apart from the big tanks and stuff.
2: Yeah, the, the the votan range is really good like that. I think for picking up in those big
1: boxes. Yeah, so that looks a really nice. Set uh, the one that I was like, wow, I need this, and immediately messaged to Dave. Um, uh, this is possibly the first like the scene of this in the wild <laughs> essentially start collecting agents of the imperium uh, <laughs> we must have an agents of the imperium book on the way day and you know uh, what with this i'm fairly certain there will be agents of the imperium rules from day one in 10th edition which is super exciting and might put you in a bit of a dilemma and your guard go out the oh window my God.
0: Uh, this I know. is
1: the fir- the first sight of Imperial Agents being a faction within the game with a self-contained box and oh boy is it a good one. So you get twenty Imperial Navy breaches you can build in various different ways. You get a ten man Star Strider squad, so these are the Rogue Trader guys, they've got a doggo, they've got an assassin, all sorts of cool stuff. And there's also an Everser Assassin kind of leading the uh the group. This, I think, is my favourite combat patrol box, Dave.
0: Yeah, it's up there, isn't it, Matt? It's up you know,
1: there. If you're talking, you know, these these dudes are literally on a spaceship. So, uh, yeah, wow. I, I I really hope that we get the ability to use, like, I know I know you wouldn't necessarily see 2,000 points of Imperial Navy with attached Inquisitors and rogue trades and stuff marching to war, but you might have 1,000 points, mightn't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. This box is going to be very hard to resist um, because, it, yeah, it, it's almost my dream becoming a reality. And all they would had to do is add an Inquisitor, I think, and it would have been perfect. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it's very cool. You can imagine like the Star Striders um, having these breaches kind of tagging along with them. And obviously assassins love what they do. So the Inquisition
1: sends one of them with them as
0: well well
1: naturally it really works you've got the road trade run there the navy are just obviously the, 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 the navy employed on their ship and then the Eversor Assassin they're probably hired for the journey because you know <laughs> space travel's dangerous and you just have him locked in his cell somewhere and then release him onto an enemy ship if boarded to
2: be yeah. fair if, if he was on your ship you'd, you'd you'd invite him into your army rather than fight him so yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: yeah. so yeah really really nice and hopefully a sign of more cool stuff to come Um. so yeah just you want to give a quick shout out to the Gondor scenery as well. So uh, Ray Ranfield, absolute hero at building and making scenery, has got a really cool post on Warhammer Community explaining all the amazing stuff that you can do with the new kits. Now, some of this I, I talked about in the unboxing videos because I noticed there's quite a few parts that aren't used on the sprues. And I'm like, oh, it's, that, it's that Ray's put together some really cool stuff to uh to do some magic here. And, yeah, there's a bit of post where he talks about all sorts of cool stuff. Like, you're able to make bridges out of using multiple of the uh, the mansion kits. You can make L-shaped, pyramidal-shaped, and T-shaped buildings. And there's loads of various optional roofing tiles to make all that happen. Uh, multi-story buildings, all sorts of cool stuff. So, I'm very tempted to pick up a couple of the manor uh, boxes and make a big, massive, like, Palace or something. My my
0: favorite part of of your Gondor scenery that you built and painted is that one where you've got the two floors and you can take the roof off and you can kind of play inside the building. I mean, even if you don't play Middle Earth, that's perfect for like RPG games and stuff.
1: I was, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I said exactly this. And the um, if you play the Elder Scrolls miniatures game as well, the scales very similar and again it'd work really well i believe i think that one you couldn't really because the way it's together but i believe if you built it with three stories you could take the third story off as well and there's enough clearance for models to be able to move between floors really really cleverly so you can actually have people in there during your games which is amazing just super amazing It's really cool And finally, we saw a bit of news. Uh, There's, there's a lot of, a lot of kind of rumors going around because a lot of kits had been discontinued from the Forge World site, leading to people thinking that we were getting like plastic fell blades and stuff. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not the case, but it is a, a, a nice midway. All of the current heresy vehicles that had sponsons that have been replaced with plastics in the new plastic kits are basically having the resin components removed for the sponsons and replaced with one of the new universal sponson sprues I guess it, it it's probably a lot cheaper to pump out plastic frames than casting up um, resin components because the moulds have only got a short like shelf life mm. um, I know a lot of people are disappointed that it, we're not getting you know plastic mastodons for example but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're never gonna get them.
2: Not yet. <laughs> you
1: know, this is but well, exactly, yeah, they've got the plastic sprue there. In the future they could always revisit these, can't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah, they could. I I got really excited when you had I can't remember what the tank was called, the one with like the missiles launched off the back of it. The Arquitor. Yeah, I was, I was like, Oh, if they're releasing that in plastic, that's going in my iron oh. wing. Um, I mean, it's like still have to in the future, but
2: um, definitely would have been sooner. That's a lump of resin, too. Dave. I've got, a, I've got a yellow Imperial Fist one on the shelf behind me. Oh, of course you it, have, a yeah. Brick. yeah. It's a nice tank, though. Yeah. So, yeah always always that... runs out of missiles when I use it.
1: It, it, it <laughs> hasn't been great in our games, has it, Joe? <laughs> it hasn't, no. Um, so, so, yeah, So uh, some people were disappointed, but then also some people kind of chimed up that there is a little bit of tank fatigue with heresy at the minute. Mm. Obviously, we had those initial kind of infantry kits, and then... I think it's just been tanks and dreadnoughts really, hasn't it, since then?
0: Yeah. I mean that's the the have teased that we're, we're about to hit a bit of a demon filled heresy few months, aren't we? Um so I, I think this this'll be it for tanks. Um and we will start seeing some different so We'll start seeing some demons and things. So um yeah. I, I don't think they were running out of tanks, were they? <laughs>
1: there's lots of tanks, there's lots loads loads of tanks that they haven't done yet, but I think people may be would rather have some different Mark Armors or some Assault Marines or assault something marines a bit
2: different. Cool. Some um, some Centaurian console options, I think, would be nice. We saw the Tourists, but it would be nice to get some different ones. I mean, we had some nice... Um, uh, the Alpha Legion, I can't remember what the name of the character was, but the Joseph Sniper character was pretty good. Yeah. Cool, so... Yeah, so... so uh, obviously, I mean, think... that, we are getting the Cofonia campaign coming up soon, and that's got two new characters in it. It has
1: and you never know. We might see some more plastic kits alongside that. We know that the Sisters of Silence have got a load of unit options in their list that there aren't models for, which is yeah. exciting. And obviously, we've got the 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 militia list coming soon. Now, the militia list is a little bit different because it's but basically it lets you take a quote marks Imperial Guard army. So, Dave, you could probably, with very little effort, take your 40k Guard army and use it in heresy, which, you know, a lot of people will do, but it's also got the, the, the the, the kind of lost and the damned lists in there too. So with all of the Traitor Guard and the uh, Beastmen kits, that, and the kind of the mutant kits that have come out, I think it's going to be quite cheap to do an army compared to how it used to be when it was all resin or conversions and equally obviously we've got the demon list coming in the summer they said so yeah i think it's a good time for the heresy it's it's obviously been super popular and i Mm. think the demands like outstripped what games Workshop. i mean i think they expected it to be popular but We've had stuff that's, like, it was a job me getting these jet bikes from my White Scars army. And it, that's been the case for a lot of heresy kits, hasn't it? They've been flying off the shelves. So, yeah, yeah watch this space. I think there's uh, some exciting stuff to come in the future.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, running through the mat, uh, the news for us, Matt. The Matt for his news nearly got that completely wrong. Um, we do have a fantastic main segment coming up next, so keep listening.
1: So now we're going to chat with Leandros from Parabellum about *Conquest*, the last argument of kings. How are you doing today?
3: I'm very good. How about yourself? Thank yeah. you for inviting me. Uh, we've been uh, we've been uh, rescheduling for a while now. I was sick and we had to go back and forth. But thank you. For, finally, we managed to we managed to meet to have the interview.
1: No, it's been really good. We've, uh, we've been really keen to do this because um, as some of you may or may not know watching this, uh, Conquest is a ranked battle game and that's really cool because there's not many of them kicking around anymore. So yeah, what we're going to do is talk about Conquest, talk about some of the cool new things that have either just come out or coming out on the horizon and just a chat about the game in general. So uh, before we kick off then and dive into the world of Conquest, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what Parabellum Games do?
3: So I am Leander Smavrogefalos, or Leo. A lot, a lot easier to, <laughs> to say, to same and pronounce. Uh, I am right now working uh, for anything that has to do with game development for Parabellum Games. I started back in the day uh, when the when we were first before actually even starting out the company as a playtester. And then I moved on to community manager, and then I moved on to overseeing a lot of our product development when it comes to uh, rules, when it comes to uh, other you know accessories and so on. So now uh, doing this for the company.
1: Now oh, that's really exciting. And so what, what do Parabellum do? Is it kind of a miniatures, kind of rules up front, or kind of miniatures that you kind of focus on mostly?
3: So, so Parabellum Games is a war game designer and manufacturer of its miniatures so our our two flags of games are conquest the last argument of kings which is a mass battle one pile war game and our second game we, which share uh, the same miniatures is conquest first blood both of these games actually uh launched with their second edition uh last argument of kings a few uh or three months ago and first blood it's been out uh, second edition for about six months we create uh fantasy miniatures uh that go with these two games uh along with all the other products that, and accessories that are useful for you to use in your teleok uh, and first blood games
1: amazing cool so, I guess that takes us straight to Conquest the Last Argument of Kings. So, what can you tell us about it? How does it bring kind of fantasy mass ranked battles to the tabletop?
3: So, Last Argument of Kings is indeed a rank and file mass battle war game. The main differences is, though, that we took the usual paradigms of the, the rank and file and the regimental sort of combat and modernized them. Brought it essentially to modern day uh, Mm. gaming standards. Uh, To do this, essentially, when you play a game of Last Argument of Kings, there's no deployment. Everything walks onto the table based on whether it's light, medium, or heavy. As it does that, it pushes forward uh, a reinforcement line think of it a little bit like a line of scrimmage Mm -hmm. right and as you push forward then your reinforcements can come onto the table further on and further on and what that creates is an asymmetrical always changing battlefield right on which on which you know regiments can come in from either flank and there's this this constant uh shift in power on the battlefield but what's most important is that we completely forego of the I play everything and then you play everything sort of mm-hmm. game system. Instead, what we do, uh, every regiment that is on the battlefield or that is about to enter the battlefield has a command card associated with its type, with its essentially, with the kind of regiment that it is. At the very beginning of the, of the game, what we do is that we take these command cards and we prearrange them, uh, in the order that we want into a command stack essentially locking in all of the activations and the order in which these activations will happen throughout the, throughout the game for that round. So once that is locked in, I get to draw a card, activate my one regiment, and then you activate a card, and then you activate your your regiment. So there is this whole, um, there is a sense of fog of war, let's say, where you have to decide on how you're going to play your regiments throughout the game, but at the same time, you need to think of what your opponent will be doing in between.
1: That's interesting. That because obviously in, in a lot of other games, you often say that you've you've lost the game at deployment because certain armies can maybe do everything turn one. With the back and forth and the, and, the, and the, you know, the, the the random order of units coming on, I guess there's there's a quite a bit of strategy to even building your army because you can have multiple units maybe with the same command card to give yourself a bit more flexibility maybe in what units you activate perhaps.
3: A, a big um. A big decision, uh, and this is something that we, we've been honing for a while now in the, the way the game plays. So conceptually, uh, there is a, a loosely defined, let's say, uh, planning and execution phase in terms of the game. So we try to, uh, be very cognizant of where most of the thinking happens. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of the thinking during the, uh, during the command phase, right? Which is the phase in which we make our command, our command stack. And then when you start playing and activating, uh, you break down your thinking into more manageable chunks, right? By just now I have to play this one regiment. What it is that I will have to do and what are the ways in which I will, uh, react to my opponent's moves. That makes it a lot, a lot more, um, a lot easier of an experience when it comes to tournaments. You can play a lot more games in the, in the, right? The, the game runs uh, a lot faster as well mm. because it doesn't have deployment. It just helps you split your uh, brain power essentially throughout the game yeah. a lot, a, a lot better rather than have to go through huge periods of time of having to think how your entire army will move and then wait helplessly as you're being alpha strike to, to do yeah. that. That can happen. But this way it's important that you're always going to fight and, and and hit somewhere. You're gonna hit hard somewhere, and you're gonna get hit hard somewhere else, right? So you, there's merit into always playing a battle down to the very last regiment, mm. down to the very last point, and you always get to play. You always get to do something. You can never just lose outright.
1: Yeah, there's, 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 there's always the chance you can turn things around because you're not getting, like you say, hit by every unit. The, the, there is always something to do. So that, that's really, really cool. So Conquest uh, originally launched with a box set containing the Spies yes. and the Hundred Kingdoms, um, but you've loads more factions added in the lore and seven or eight playable factions, seven with the city-states now, playable factions, haven't you? Um, that's,
3: that's That's right, yeah.
1: So can you tell us kind of how the, the, the kind of the law and the different factions kind of grew over time and any kind of thought into kind of why those races were introduced?
3: Yeah. Uh, so certainly. So the, the core set now that i that released back in August, 2019, it's been a while. It time flies. It? Wow. Okay. <laughs> time flies. Yeah. So the first two factions now presented essentially the human faction, right? And the human it's important to have a human faction in the game because this is usually the way through which narratively um we are as readers of the of the lore are capable mm. of seeing that world, right? Usually we need something that we can identify to in order to be able through that to understand the the intricacies of that world. Mm. And the spires, which was a second faction, now, th- that faction was very alien, alien in the sense that the way that they were thinking really did not re- uh, work, you know, you couldn't really explain in terms of, of human psychology, right? Yeah. So you, need, you needed the Hundred Kingdoms, a human, fa- a human faction to be the mirror upon which, you know, uh, some of those traits would reflect and we would be able to read and understand them. So, uh, for example, there is this, uh, collection of short stories, uh, it's called Nepenthe. They're available for free online for people to be, to read them if they want to. And essentially it talks about, you know, the, the story of Rismark and, uh, and Frederick and, and how they, uh, saw and interacted with the Spires for the very first time. And it's very important to have the human faction there, you know, to be able to live the horror of having to deal with, with, with the Spires, uh, you know, <laughs> through yeah, seeing yeah. another, another person doing it. Then, uh, we, we went on with the Nords and the uh, Dwegom as a third and, uh, as the, the Dwegom were the third faction, Nords mm. were the fourth. Now, the Dwigom were there, were introduced, um, because they have such a strong connection to, to war, to the primordial essence of war. Uh, that allowed us to explain essentially, first of all, to start tapping into the story of the primordials to the genesis of the world to explain a little bit, uh, what war is and how war is actually a tangible thing, right? It's an mm-hmm. entity along with, along with creation, destruction, famine. And then we had, uh, the, the Nords, which is unlike what would most expect, uh, there are humans but it's not a human faction per se right so narratively the nords allowed us to to uh to explain the the, the journey of the spires i it doesn't it sounds a little you know it sounds a little odd but essentially by introducing the nords next we discussed about why the spires came to this world they mm. were exiled from their own world they were hunted right and so they uh, came to a, they wanted to go to, and reclaim their world mm-hmm. and to do that, they needed resources and they needed an army. So the first ones that they tried to experiment on, right, was, was the local, the local fauna, let's say, right? And those yeah. were the humans. But the story of the Nords is a story of essentially it explains the unique, the unique uh, combination of elements that makes a human. To, it explains a little bit indirectly how the spires' Biomancy and Feromancy work and why it didn't really work with humans. And then there is a story of survival and, and, uh, on how, uh, those humans tamed the horrors of Mannheim and also what the horrors of Mannheim actually are, right? Mm-hmm. Moving on from them, uh, we went to the Wadrun the Wadrun were a very uh, interesting a very interesting race and uh, and essentially discuss they are the byproduct and essentially the the culmination of the uh, of the of the conflict of the elder races between the, the dregom and the spires mm-hmm. right so they were they, the the were developed and they were released as a last resort against the dregom after the after the dregom war uh, they managed to destroy not one But two actual spires, which was destroying one, was considered to be impossible. But they essentially unleashed themselves from the spires to destroy two. And so we start uh, further discussing about what is the... We were able to discover the world of conquest in Ea from the eyes of a brand new civilization. And Mm -hmm. how is that a civilization that just came to life? Is now seeing this world for the very first time. What does it mean to be a new faction and a new, a, a new culture in that world? Like how does we, the humans, you know, allows us to see into the world of conquest, but these humans were already acclimated to air. Yeah. Now we have this new faction that is brand new, never had, you know, knows nothing. And so you're going to have to rediscover their world some of the intric- intricacies of it through their eyes at that point uh the main the main uh, story arcs uh, a lot of the main story arcs were completed like we discussed a lot of things so what we try to do and this is something that we always want to do is that we want to involve the community in the mm. future of the game so back then uh we launched what we called project six and Project Six essentially we called players to join our living world. This is our narrative uh, campaign voting medium, right? Through which players had to vote between the Old Dominion, the city-states at the time, and the Weavers, and which one would be the the, the next faction. Mm. So people voted uh, the Old Dominion, and that allowed us to delve further, deeper into the story of Haslia, into the stories of the fall, into what was the Old Dominion, uh, what used to be, what the intricacies of why it fell and why did the humans decided that they have to go against their god, which at that point was a good god. Yeah. Uh And then right after the Old Dominion, seeing the fact that they were neck to neck with the city-states, even though the plan was not to was it, the plan was not to release those three factions necessarily, we would only release the one the one that could mm-hmm. voted out, right? Uh we saw so much uh so much engagement when it comes to city states and of course being Greeks ourselves, you know, we were a little more inclined <laughs> to yeah. to tap into that. And that that is allowed us to to see what happened to the descendants of the Old Dominion to mm-hmm. explore that story arc? So the Old Dominion fell after trying to uh, destroy Hasdea. What happened to those that survived? What happened to those that were trying to recreate the Old Dominion with these ideas of uh, creating uh, uh, benevolent uh, philosopher kings and what really happened, right? What they did with all that, all that knowledge they got mm-hmm. from, old, from the Old Dominion. Which is where we are today at the at the in lore. Awesome. And recently, uh, we did another project where right? it's called Project Eight, mm-hmm. where people once again had the opportunity to vote on the next faction. This time between the Sorcerer Kings, the the, the Dogs of War, and and Hell, right? And with the Sorcerer Kings and Hell being so close, there were points that we had like 0 point something percent. Really? Yeah, yeah. And it, it was insane because we, we had the metrics where we had 10 or 11 times more engagement that we had with Project 6. Mm. And it's just also very, very important like how much the our audience grew as well, how much the community grew as well.
1: Do you think the the fact that you you engage (laughs) the 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 fans so much in kind of shaping the future of the game do you think that helps kind of i guess draw players to the game because people oh yeah i voted that faction i want to see them be the next force in the game
3: for sure because it's not just the the kind of choices that we provide players is not just oh which one is the next faction which is a great right big decision and we we stick to it uh the the way the living world works is that every two weeks there are these narratives that are moving on, right? Charac- uh, figures from each faction, There, there is a journey that they undertake or an adventure they go, they go, uh, they go through and through their eyes, people learn more about uh, the world of, of Ea. But what happens is that oftentimes uh, there are characters that are, that have, some choices right they, they have a dilemma. they have to choose between go over one way or the other. Mm-hmm. or we have like the, the, the narrative arc, the story of the of Alecaneros, the duagam that lost all of his Argum, and now he is challenging the, the, the philosophy of the dragagam and the Agam system and how all that works right. Mm-hmm. So these characters though find themselves often find themselves in a position which decisions need to be made. In these decisions, we let players vote, right? So people get to shape not just, you know, big decisions like which one's going to be the next faction, but people they personally identify with and 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 figures they really like to shape some of the the future perhaps mm. of their uh, of, of their faction. Because one of the things we were always very clear with our lore is that nobody is wearing plot armor. If someone yeah. is de- is destined to go, they're going to go, right? i guess
1: guess it's like game of thrones isn't it where nobody's safe and if you know a major character can die that happens and the plot advances with that happening
3: yeah if it there is um there is no no death of a major character for no reason just for Mm -hmm. them to go right but uh sometimes this is what happens and that that world The world of conquest is filled with turmoil there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of developments and we want to make sure it is literally a living world it progresses and that that will become more and more apparent as we move on with the project
1: that's really cool I, i like the fact that the 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 universe evolves and things change and like you say actions have repercussions and yeah that's something we haven't really seen in other games so it's quite exciting to see that happen so you mentioned the the city states they're the newest mm-hmm. faction in the game yes. uh, what's their playstyle and what can players and collectors look forward to in the range
3: so the the city states encapsulate the this uh hellenistic era aesthetic right from the macedonian wars mm. to to uh, to the Persian wars to Alexander the great all the way to Sparta and so on the Ath- the Ath- the hellenistic Athens and so on so what they are, what they bring to the table is that actually as a faction i would say and this is something that is core to our game design is that it's often, you know, what, what a faction does is often not as characteristic as what it, what a faction cannot do. Yeah. Right. So they, for example, the city states, they don't have a lot of shooting. They don't have a lot of uh, fast cavalry troops, but what they do have is one of the most efficient infantry formation game style in the game. Right. They're not, it's not about high stats. It's not about particularly uh, high march values, but it, it's, The tactics that they use and the tactics that allow you, the player, to employ that makes them one of the most efficient infantry forces. So, for example, they're bringing two important uh, faction special rules into the game. The first one is called the the strategic stack, right? So, so far we have the command stack where we arrange our command cards and then we draw right to activate our regiments. But what you can do is that uh, you can draw a card right, and say, I'm not going to activate it now. I'm going to put it face down in my strategic stack. And then it's back to you, and you can play your next card. When it's my turn again throughout the round, I can draw a command card from my command stack and say, okay, I will activate this card. And once I'm done with this regiment, I will also activate the, the card from my strategic stack. Mm. So it allows you to forfeit an activation through, uh, throughout your round in order for you to be able to, uh, to perform two activations, one after the other at some point during the round. What that means is that, uh, you can stagger a little bit. You know, sometimes, you know, your opponent expects you to play a certain way. And suddenly when you don't make that move, that's a big initiative advantage that you can yeah. take. Uh, sometimes there is this, um, there are all these maneuvers that you can do. You can have one regiment withdraw. So to open up space for another to go back in and charge. Mm-hmm. There are all these combinations that you can do that is extremely important. Uh, and then the, the, the other, uh, very cool faction rule that they have is called auxiliary stance. So what that means is that, um, to delve a little bit deeper into the lore of the city states, right? They're, they're not just humans. They're they they have the bread, which we're talking about satires, minotaurs, and so mm-hmm. they're they're part of their society. But they're also part of their armed forces. They're regularly trained, and they all fight you know they fight together. Which means that oftentimes it's very common to see uh, a minotaur, huspist, or a minotaur therian fighting alongside the hoplites. Mm-hmm. So as you have your hoplite formation, suddenly there is a big Minotaur holding a huge sealed, you know, fighting there. That definitely boosts morale and definitely helps you get get some of the tougher, you know, encounters. Uh get through some of the tougher encounters. And so what you can do is that uh for your regiments of phylagitis, uh, or hoplites, you can actually include in there uh a stand of a Minotaur. So you you do mixed regiments, right? To help you Boost the efficiency either towards the defensive side if you have a Minotaur with a sealed or towards the offensive side if you have the Minotaur with a 200 weapon.
1: Cool. That's really, that's really cool from a visual point of view as well. You kind of yeah. block of hot plates marks you forward <coughs> with a Minotaur in their ranks. Yeah, that appeals.
3: <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so after that, we have mighty. Spellcasting giants. We have the Festin and the Promethean giants. They they tap a little bit into um, the concept of resonance. Uh, you know the the myth of uh, the story of how the ancient Greek philosopher uh, discovered the concept of, of of frequency. Right when they were hearing uh, the four blacksmiths in the market hitting. You know iron and they they were able to correlate the the weight of the hammer and the, the material to the pits that it created yeah. and so we have the pythagoras you know a uh, concept of uh heavenly heaven heavenly ratios and so on and so we play their magic plays into that and plays okay. into into these concepts into into the history of uh, frequency and resonance essentially that's cool we tie yeah we, we go into entire uh, mythology and and history and all in between mixes yeah in in the lore but also it's very important for us to to reflect that lore into gameplay
1: yeah that captures the feeling of the faction then doesn't it within the the playable mm-hmm. army and that's really cool yeah so so alongside the city states uh just recently uh the new two-player starter set came out which had the city states and the nords in it and um, what what do you get in the box and it, do you think it's a good kind of jumping on point for people who are maybe interested in playing uh conquest
3: oh yeah yeah that that's actually um i am like it's funny I will tell you this, just for you to to get it, right? So we have the, we have our one player starter boxes, right? Hmm. Right. And so they're a certain size. Uh, So of course, um, we're going to have to make a bigger box for the, the player set and that's fine. So we make the bigger set, right? And so we start realizing that all the things... That we put in there wouldn't fit so nice. we have to we had we to make an even bigger set right just just for you to, to to start getting a little bit you know the idea of like how many things are in there yeah uh so exactly like you said we have the we have the city states and the nords and in there you're gonna find uh a character and three regiments per side so that is you have the nord king and the city-state polymark now th- you're going to find their alternative poses so even if you've already grabbed your uh if you already have a polymer marker you already like that a model you're going to get uh, an alternative sculpt mm-hmm. right yeah. so in for the city state side you get uh, a regiment of falangistes a regiment of hoplites. Now these are dual kits, right? So you can build either or. You can either have two phylangitas or two hoplites. You can choose. And then you have a regiment of three minotaurs, which can be built either as minotaur therians or as minotaur haspists. Mm-hmm. Haspists are the one with the sealed. Therians are the ones with a 200 weapon. The, the nord side has a regiment of husk it has a regiment of plastic bow chosen. Now, for the veteran players would remember that our initial release of the bow chosen were in resin, mm-hmm. right? Because and each literally each and every model in there was like a separate character yeah. uh in terms of quality. But we were able, like we promised, we turned these into plastic and we reduced awesome. the price. Uh they remained the, the still the same kind of, of detail uh and then we also have a mountain Yotnari there so we're talking about uh for you get in a two player set overall six regiments two characters actually two rule books right because we were discussing about this and it's like what's the point of only having one if two players are going to buy it. Yeah, so. that's a
1: great thing. So, so often people buy <laughs> these, these starter boxes yeah. and have to share the yeah. rule books, so having one each is, is awesome. No, I like no, say. I guess with a lot books. of the kits um, having dual builds as well, there's potentially room there for getting multiples of these boxes to build a big force for both of these armies?
3: Oh, for for both the Nords? So the Nords uh, have, would have a little bit of a harder time because of... Uh, because of you can have one king uh, per mm. army, but the regiments you get in there can actually be duplicated to great effect. Okay. So you, so there's a lot of merit into adding them to your site and uh, to your collection. The city-states, for sure, you can go for two, right? And I would even say you can go for three in the sense that you have... I mean, if you if you get two, you're gonna have a six six stance if I get this and six stance of poplites That That's that's actually very very uh, reasonable and mm. you would probably need more in terms of, as they make the bulk of your front lines, right? And then the two regiments of of minotaurs are great. They allow you to have one regiment and then you split the others as auxiliary stands. It allows you to have or two regiments of three, two polar marks you can absolutely use. So that's great value in there as well.
1: Awesome that's really cool. So like you say the yeah. new rulebook is in that box. And um, yes. what tweaks have there been since the I think you had a 1.5 edition not so long ago.
3: So it's I will tell you this. So for a like on paper a lot of things changed mm-hmm. but the the conquest experience has not changed at all. Yeah. It's one of the softest landing, like I think addition changes you can. So if there, is, first of all, there's a lot of quality of life, a lot of quality of life updates. There were a lot of FAQs. There were a lot of questions that people asked us, right? That we included into, uh, update 2.0. But the biggest change, uh, the single biggest change is the fact that the update 1.5.1 1 and before, Right, had the focus of the character profiles going onto the model, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, you will be building your list, and you would have, let's say, men at arms, right? In, in the characteristic profile, would say one attack, uh, one wound. Uh, you know, something like. Let's say, uh, if you had a, a regiment that could shoot. Uh, it would be bar as one, right? So you would take these stats and you would multiply them by the amount of models on the stand and you would figure out how many attacks or how many wounds or how many shots you have per stand. Yeah. Very quickly, however, as we started growing and we started updating and balancing, this created a problem that we essentially, there were things that we could only go up or down in increments of four. Yeah. So if if we gave arms. To another attack then that meant that each stand would do eight attacks right which yeah. was way too many and we had that problem for example with dragon slayers like dragon slayers having four wounds just didn't work but then having eight were way too many yeah so update 2.0 what we did is that we sifted the focus from the model to the actual stand
2: mm-hmm.
3: so now we can say we can ask ourselves questions like Wait, I have four Wadroon, right? And then I have four militia. Isn't it reasonable that four drone would do just would do more attacks than four militia? Or would it be reasonable to say that four Wadroon could take more punishment than four militia? Yeah. So for example, then uh, some regiments could don't really need to have four wounds. Now they can have five or six. Uh for example, uh, Vanguard clones, right, would have eight attacks per stand. That was a little bit more than we needed them, but also four, just four attacks didn't really reflect how they fought in the lore. Yeah. So now they have six.
1: Yeah, you have more kind of gradient between mm-hmm. the units then. That's that, that's cool. Um so I guess for old mm-hmm. players, is there much that they'd need to learn different? Or is it small lots of small tweaks maybe?
3: So I wouldn't say. Uh in essentially you you now Simply have to think on a per stand basis. Mm-hmm. The other, the, the change, for example, uh, healing. Now you have to be able to heal at least half of the stand's uh, wounds rounded up in order to bring it back. Okay. So all, all the underlying rules and systems are there. It just, it's the exact same, like uh it's the exact same game with an engine that works better, essentially. Cool. The my the piece of advice I would give to uh, veteran players, however, is a lot of players because you know now you don't have to remove model per model from each stand to denote casualties. Essentially, some people were thinking to are thinking, let's say that they could glue the models on 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 the stand. Mm-hmm and i would suggest for to veteran players i would actually suggest to not do this and the reason is that one of the reasons why we have the circular bases into the stands apart from the fact of course that there is a beautiful second game uh, skirmish <laughs> first blood uh, is also because they can rotate and by rotate on the spot they actually rank up a little bit, rank up better yeah and what happens is that even your your regiment may rank up beautifully within itself But when you engage two enemy regiments, it will rarely be flush. Yeah. So it's very important to be able to rotate your models so they fit with the models, with the uh, opponent's models. So you don't damage your miniatures or yours don't get damaged, right? Things are not wonky, right? So everything fits flush. And nice, and of course, command stands. You may be choosing your officers and so on, so it, it's better to magnetize because you might be one game you might have an officer, and the other game you might just not want to pay pay the points for it. Yeah. Or the character stands might have retinues, but then for your next game to not buy retinues, right? So it's important to be able to take the models out.
1: Yeah, because you also have options <clears throat> on how to how to put the units together. Now that makes sense.
3: Exactly. Yeah, uh, but it, it the the round base on the square stand is a big uh quality of life uh little feature there despite being able to rotate things right and fit flush just Makes things a lot easier. Oh, we've we've
1: all been there when you're trying to position yeah. two units together and there's spears and shields in the way and
3: yeah 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 no that's cool. or, or even or even worst case scenario right or worst case scenario if you cannot do them being able to take the model off if you, if it's yeah. really not right sometimes you just don't want to damage your models or your opponent's models right so it's it's better to have the option to make it work as easy as possible rather than to glue everything in place right and not being able and suddenly lose all of the advantages of having the round base yeah exactly and i guess for for
1: storage point of view as well it's probably easier to store those individual models rather than you're fixed to a to a stand you know, depending on your storage solution i mean speaking of the models i mm-hmm. guess the the detail of conquest miniatures has kind of grown over the years with some really really yeah. cool kits coming out has the way you've approached kits changed is there anything that you are kind of looking to do in the future that maybe kind of fans haven't seen yet
3: so definitely First of all, right off the bat, uh, players that have been with us since the beginning—I mean, even uh, players that picked up Conquest later on—would have seen, w- would see, you know, that the an insane growth in quality. Mm. Like, for example, when you go back from our uh, original star set, still models that we absolutely love, but going into um, kit, later on kits uh we have like we starting from helbringer drake moving on to the the old dominion we have the Catafracti. we have you know uh all these like we have raptor riders we have the out apex predator we have all yeah. everything all the new stuff that is coming out it's i'll tell you what is that designing and manufacturing a uh, plastic kits requires a lot of knowledge and a lot of effort yeah and we are very understanding of the things that we do not know and want to grow and we invest a lot of a lot of resources and a lot of time into learning how to do, do it better so that's very important for us to uh to do and we've managed to to get better and better
1: mm. so to it's many Obviously, we've seen a lot of bigger kits. You mentioned the Apex Predator, mm-hmm. which is an amazing model. Um, is that something we're likely to see for all the factions Then, kind of big, impressive centerpiece models to kind of add to the collection?
3: So th- that's funny. That's funny because there's always, you know, this community discussion about when 100 Kingdoms are going to get another you know, yeah. monster. That you- uh, we want to have... Uh, you know, like centerpiece models for all, all factions. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're all going to be monsters. Yeah. Definitely we want to be able to, to bring a faction's lore into life through our sculpts mm-hmm. and give beautiful centerpiece models to every faction, whether that is by having monsters or by having beautifully detailed, um, regiments, essentially.
1: Yeah, so yes, for Hundred Kingdoms, rather than a monster, ornate-looking cavalry unit maybe makes more sense for them.
3: Yeah, and the the Orders are there to be their centrepiece, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Also,
1: I'm excited about them. I do like the Hundred Kingdom. Cool. Uh, so, if, if somebody's maybe looking to get into Conquest, and, and has never played it before, they don't know any of the lore, what is the best way for them to maybe kind of get a taste of the game, and to learn more about the world?
3: So... Um, definitely our website, parabellum.com, but even more important is that uh, you can join our Discord, you can join our social media, we have a beautiful program, it's called the Vanguard Program, which is our, the Champions of Conquest, essentially, they are people that love the game, they love showing the game, they love the world, and they're there to help you in your path to get started. We want to have uh, a Vanguard in every community. And if yours doesn't have one, you're always welcome to join that, our community. To learn more, uh, there's definitely a lot, a lot of lore on the actual website. You can go through, you can read everything about all factions. You can read about the genesis of the world. And to start getting into, you can find the rules available for free online and PDF. All the army lists, all the rules are available for free. And the starter sets, and then the one-player starter sets, both for Last Argument of Kings uh, and the teasers for First Blood are a great start. Uh, all of the one-player stars for, for, for Last Argument of Kings essentially give you a full-on army for First Blood hmm. as well, so you can jump right into it.
1: So we've talked a little bit about First Blood, the, the kind of skirmish variant. Can you tell us a little bit about that and who that's aimed at?
3: So... From the very beginning, our goal was to experience, uh, conquest from all different, let's say, zoom levels from Mm -hmm. the right into from the eyes of a soldier behind the sealed wall. That is first blood all the way to board games that take you like develop your kingdom and your empire. Yeah. So first blood is there for players that want to get more into the nitty gritty of it of, of, of small scale infantry tactics movement. Mm -hmm. We have the. The opportunity to explore more of each individual models and regiments, uh, history and lore. You can find uh, abilities that are a lot closer to the lore. The, we, we approach the design of characters a lot differently. We decide, we approach the design of officers very differently. They take up a much larger role that, rather than just being uh, a regiment upgrade. Essentially, you can, it's an, one more way to experience the lore of how these, uh, factions experience and navigate the small scale skirmishes of conquest
1: now, that's really cool um I, i'm not giving it i'm not giving it a go yet i need to uh dig into that because mm-hmm. there is an appeal to to skirmish battles when maybe you haven't got the time to do a massive mass ranked battle but you still want some action in there are the, are the rules similar then for people who, who have played conquest before
3: so the first version of first blood it was a lot more similar as it was we first created to be an easy intro to the game but with the coming of of the second edition of first blood we redesigned the entire system and created its own unique skirmish game so the rules the underlying concepts are the same uh the 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 same in in terms of approach in terms Mm. of thinking right but, uh definitely, when you're learning first blood, you're learning a new system. We're talking about engagement ranges you're We're talking about tactical movement of individual models models from these different regiments create ad hoc formations. There is merit in having pole arms behind seals as you can attack through there's all these tactical moves and maneuvers okay, cool. there's com- command abilities that you can manifest command ranges and so on
1: that's awesome that sounds cool so. We talked a little earlier a little bit about Project Eight. So, uh, with with the aftermath of that and all the the excitement with the voting, what can players expect to see being the the outcome of Project Eight?
3: So, with the voting of Project Eight, the decision was that the Sorcerer Kings will be the next faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a uh, that was a very interesting uh, few quite interesting rounds of voting. We have released a lot of uh, a lot of visuals for the for the Sorcerer Kings, and I cannot say a lot more than that. There's because there's a beautiful a lot of beautiful things coming. Yeah. But I can tell you, it's official. We have Sorcerer Kings as our next faction.
1: Amazing! That's exciting. Do you do you guys? Um, are you cheering on one faction when you do these things? Was Sorcerer Kings something you wanted to see released, or was there another one that you maybe wanted to to get um, the
3: spotlight? It's a little different for us because um we have the luxury of seeing things play out over a larger period of time, yeah, so we don't necessarily favor one over the other simply because we know we're gonna get them all, so yeah right we we operate you know we operate in a different time scale by necessity because of you know the time it takes to design and to manufacture things, yeah, so yeah like it, it it wouldn't it wouldn't be like oh we would want this to release over the there because eventually we want to explore everything and eventually we want to have everything out so by definition we are going into the the long game if that makes sense yeah
1: and i guess players always want to have more factions and stuff. but considering when did the game launch 2019 you've managed to bring out a lot of factions in that time really
3: <laughs> yeah that's very true uh that's also the the reason why um We learned a lot, right? We did a lot of work, but it was very important that we move fast because, you know, people love the Hunter Kingdoms, the the, the Spires, the dragon, the the North. But to be honest, in order for a game to be, for a war game to be viable, Mm -hmm. right, you need to have quite a few factions and quite a few things to explore. So we were fully aware of that, and that's why we pushed so hard. But the other thing is that we we launched in 2019, right? launched uh, then but we've been working on a conquest for a few, for quite a few years before that so there was a lot of work that was already prepared when we started launching
1: yeah i guess one of the down forces is for some games where there's only those two initial factions and then people don't find a faction that they fall in love with so the fact that you've, you've managed to create all this and then the lore for kind of more around that that's that's really cool so what is your favorite faction from the game and why
3: so honestly I will tell you that whatever it is that I'm working at that moment if that yeah, makes sense
1: that makes sense
3: right because like every time I have to go in deep when so our design philosophy that something needs to play the way it's advertised so if you, whatever you read in the lore we want it to play that way yeah this is why it's a game that we are You have a character, no matter how powerful the character is, if the regiment they're in dies, they die as well. Because you can never, you can never fight a whole army on on your own. That's a very important part of our game design. So every time we're working on designing something for Last Argument of Kings and First Blood, I have to delve deep into the lore to see, you know, in detail how is that, how does the faction work, what does Mm -hmm. that faction do how would those things, how their society, the way the society worked, would translate in the way that they fight wars. And when you have to delve so deep into a faction, you create this intimate connection at that point that you really start liking, and you really, you really um, find this uh, all these cool things that you that you then take and make into roles Awesome. But I would say. I wouldn't. So, if I had to choose a faction and say that, you know, uh, I'm really happy with seeing that. Regardless of whether I, I personally would play it or not, hmm. but the fact that I see those um, ideas being manifested on the tabletop, I like. I, I like seeing the mechanics of the Wardroon, regardless yeah. of whether that, they would be my first choice or not. I like the city states in the way how fluid they can be but without how elite they can be without having elite stats. Yeah. I like that combination of I like those that concept, right? Hmm. I like uh the ability of the 100 kingdoms to to be the faction that, you know, is to bring the right tool at the right time to win. Yeah. I there is something that I like there's something that I like in everyone in that way. And, and and it's really it's funny because, you know, it's really it's not an it's not a way to avoid the answer, but it's like when you're creating it's like you don't see it as creating a single faction, you see it as creating the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, that so, makes and, sense. And, and, and so it's the game that's your favorite game. It's not the faction, but it's your favorite faction, if that makes sense.
1: That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, thank you so much for, for joining us for this interview. Before we let you go though, we've got a very important question. Let me ask it to everybody we interview. What mm-hmm. is your favorite sprue from the Conquest Range and what is your favorite
3: brew? My favorite sprue. So let me think. The brood drone.
1: Okay, nice.
3: And I will tell you, uh, and I will tell you why. It's because um, the brood drone was the first time we managed to create complicated texture in plastic, and it was mm-hmm. a big, it was a big, uh, a big achievement for the team. And so that, you know, that that has a lot of uh, yeah. emotional. That, that that was a great a great win after years of working on that so it was it felt great and my favorite brew as in as a beer you I mean
1: it, it's in a beer or a, or a hot drink whatever whatever your preference
3: oh okay okay so my favorite brew would be uh viser Stefano's Vitus. it's a it's a it's a vice beer
1: excellent cool. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We're going to be looking at some Conquest stuff on the site soon, so hopefully we'll have some battle reports in the near future too, which will be fun. So massive thanks to Leandros for joining us to talk about Conquest, The Last Argument of Kings. I am super keen to play some games of this, and I know where Jay is too, so hopefully we'll be covering some battle reports over on YouTube soon.
0: So it is time for the returning top three. And for this week's top three, we're going to be discussing our favorite weapons from the worlds of Warhammer. So quite a broad one, this one. I think we have some interesting choices. Uh, before we do wrap up this week's podcast, we will be finishing off with the community top three choices as well. But for now, let's start with you, Matt. What Ooh. would be your top three weapons from the worlds of Warhammer?
1: Right. Well, this was really, really hard. There's lots of really cool weapons. But for number three, I've gone with quite a, a simple weapon, a basic weapon that, you know, just it's just a grenade. It's just a grenade, isn't it? It is the humble vortex grenades. <laughs> so, you know, grenades are cool. Some of them like do a big explosion. And like break holes in tanks, and some of them fragment into loads of pieces, doing a load of damage to infantry. But it's a very Warhammer Forty Thousand thing for a grenade to rip open a black hole in real space and suck any poor unfortunate things into the warp. um Now I I, I grew up playing Warhammer Forty Thousand Second Edition, and most characters took a vortex grenade which would then persist on the battlefield and move around destroying everything.
3: <laughs>
1: it was beautiful. I hope this is the thing that comes back in 10th edition. Yeah, they were a little bit silly. And it was like 50 points to like have a guaranteed area of anything on here dies horrifically. But it was a bit of fun, wasn't it? So yeah, the, the, the Vortex grenade is my number three choice. Now, my number two choice is one that I know that Dave is very, very fond of. Um, it is possibly his favourite weapon. Well, it might even be his number one favourite weapon in all the um, universe of Hammer. So it was it was it is a demon sword created by Vengel, the second ever chosen of chaos. And it was imbued with a demon of corn called Uzhul. And it was a it was a vicious thing that sucked the very soul out of the people that it cut. It is, of course, the weapon we ordered by Archeon, the ever chosen, the slayer of Kings. Now it's a cool weapon, and the law is very cool. But it is my favourite weapon for the sole fact of trapping <laughs> Dave's Dave crush in it live on the Muhammad TV. I hate weapons. this weapon. <laughs>
0: terrible uh, weapon.
1: Terrible weapon. It's um, it's pretty cool, isn't it? No, I love it. <laughs> no. I think it's awesome. <laughs> but number one, number one, I, I am loath to um, pick a weapon. Not forged in some kind of like horrific demon forge, not even imbued with a demon. It is called in the common tongue the Skull Splitter, uh, forged by Grumny, made out of star metal itself. In the in the in the dwarven tongue, it goes by the name of Moraz, and we have an entire game named after it. Yes, it is the Warhammer, and it is it's. I mean, it's the big deal, isn't it? It is, it is Sigmar's own hammer um, hammer time, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. And um, spoiler alert,
2: it might appear in mine. Yeah. Um, it, it, but, uh, it, it, it's it's wielded, in not it, Sigmar, isn't it? Doesn't he, it is. Is it the Celestial Prime has it? Celestial
1: Prime does have Gar Yeah, I do wonder, though, if we'll ever see Sigmar himself on the battlefield. That would be cool, wouldn't it? And
2: yeah, he's well, Alariel's there. there. Alariel and... Tech list, so you know,
1: yeah, that'd be that'd be Unless,
2: so unless, unless he does a uh, the, the lion, obviously, the lion's come back, but he hasn't had his sword returned to him. So maybe Sigma will come back and and they'll be like, No, you need to get yourself a new hammer, mate. You yeah, know, maybe, maybe there's a,
1: like a maybe there's like a lost and found for legendary weapons <laughs> <Yeah>. because they <laughs> seem to go walkies a lot in, in the need world, need some, some epic, loot. Don't they? yeah. So, yeah, that is my top three. Um, sorry, Dave, for the Slayer Sword number two. <sighs>
0: I'll let you off. Um, I think I'll jump in with my um, top three at this point um, because you kind of spoiled one of them. Um, (laughs) uh, I am going to give. So I've got a top four because actually my fourth choice, I feel like it needs to get a mention. It's one of my favorite weapons in Warhammer 40K. It's a humble power fist. Um, Yeah, I really like it. I've I've given it to quite a few of my characters in the past. I think my my Death Watch captain's got one. My Cadian Castellan's got one. Um, they're just really cool, aren't they? Um, do what's better than punching somebody with a massive fist, tank, or human, or alien, or whatever. Um, do you, the you remember
1: the party? Nintendo Power Glove? It kind of I do, of I do,
0: yeah. Um, so, moving on to my top three. Uh, so, I have also gone for a bit of a chaos weapon, weapon um, it's mm. my third choice. This one is wielded by some of the greatest painters in the world. And it's also uh, in the hands of the schooltaker as well,
2: uh, and that is the Slayer Sword for those uh, for those who like corn. I was trying to figure uh, out what you're on about. Then wielded by the greatest. Do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking there's the uh, calligrapher for the for the lumina <laughs> who has the paintbrush, and I was thinking maybe there's a Nurgle unit that has a paintbrush <laughs> or something. No, no, you can, you you too can have a Slayer Sword if you you beat everybody
0: else in Golden Demon. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, um, that's my third choice. It's a really cool looking sword, and um, this it's the reason that the Skulltaker is the only corn model I own that's, that's painted, um, because I just really wanted to paint that model. Um, my second choice, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I couldn't decide on on one particular variant of this type of weaponry. Um, so I've simply put in my top three plasma so this could be this could be a plasma gun it could be a plasma pistol pistol could be a plasma cannon uh an executioner plasma cannon um i just really like plasma um just like i like giving my characters power fists, i also like to give my characters plasma usually a pistol but you know maybe something a bit bigger and, and, and punchier and um, it's just i love Unreliable weapons, uh, and that's what a plasma gun so is you, all about.
1: You, you're playing Dark Angels for um Heresy yeah, as yeah. well, and they love all the uh, archaic, slightly dangerous weapons, don't they?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And that just leaves my top choice, which matters absolutely spoiled. Um It's the reason I've 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 kind of got the Selcet Prime ready to build a uh, build for my Stormcast, but I want to wait until I've got a bit of a Stormcast army um, painted before I tackle that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's an amazing weapon. Uh, I loved it in fantasy, I still like it in Age of Sigmar, it's iconic, um, yeah, it's my top choice.
2: Jay, what's your top three? Uh, so my top three, I start with the Slayers, no, I reckon, um, the, uh, my number three choice is um, The Sword of Cain,
1: Ooh. which
2: um, was, uh, if memory serves, I should need to dig out my High Elves Army books, it was a blade that was forged by one of the, I think it was Vaal, one of the high elf gods for Cain. And it was in the shrine of Cain. And I remember during one of the chaos wars in the old world, Anarian ended up, he was like, he's the ancestor of Tyrion and Teclis. He ended up drawing the sword. And the sword is that powerful. It, it cursed him in his bloodline. So like Tyrion and Teclis were cursed by the, the sword of Anarian as well. So I think Anarian did put it back. Um, and I'm not sure, actually, you might know, Matt, if during the end times, T- Tyrion, I'm pretty sure Tyrion draws it again in the end times. Uh, Tyrion does draw the blade, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like a, a legendary elven weapon. Um, I need to dig out the books, actually, because some of the high elf lore was really, really cool. Um, that's yeah. Why I...
1: so, so during the end times, the Widowmaker is drawn by Tyrion, who becomes the Avatar of Cain. After Tyrion is slain, the Widowmaker loses its power and becomes an ordinary sword.
2: Oh, just an ordinary blade. AP Zero. Hmm. Um, My second choice is the awesome Harlequin's Kiss. So this weapon is wielded by um, the Harlequins, but the Solitaire puts it to fantastic use. And it's basically like um, a, a wrist-mounted um, sort of weapon. It's like a tube that comes out from the wrist. And the idea is, is that the Harlequin will, will leap in front of their opponent and jab this sort of tube into them. And then what uncoils from the tube, I always think of it like a a, a butterfly sort of tongue, is um, all this monofilament wire that just shoots out and uncoils from this tube inside the body um, that the thing's been impaled into and just mulches it all from the inside. The Hawkins Kiss, glorious weapon for the old. It's probably
1: going to sting a little bit, isn't it?
2: It does. It leaves a mark. Um, The number one choice for me, though, is the, um, and I can never pronounce this, the Apollonian spear uh, wielded by the Captain General of the Legio Custodes, Valdor. Um, So this was one of two spears that the Emperor handcrafted and gifted to um, Valdor. And I think the other spear was gifted to Leman Russ. Um, But the spear that Valdor wields has a unique property in that anything it cuts, um, he learns the truth of. Um, And there's some really, really cool scenes in the Horus Heresy books where he's fighting demons. And of course, up until a certain point in the Great Crusade and the Horus Heresy, the Emperor sort of withheld a lot of knowledge about the warp and the demons and things like this from his Primarchs and from Valdor, his, you know, most trusted, you know, companion. Um, But he gifted this spear to Valdor and... Um, Valdor was a bit unique amongst the custodians in that the custodians they were loyal to a fault with, with the Emperor, you know, the unquestionably loyal. All they could ever do was enact the will of the Emperor. Um, but this spear granted Valdor um, I don't know, like some additional knowledge that he wasn't privy to prior to that. Um, and so he's like fighting through demons and he's learning the true names of demons and more about their sort of what they are and the you know, this kind of thing, and theres I don't want to give too much away because there's bits in the book you've not read yet, but the Apollyon Sphere is a really, really interesting weapon, and it sort of changes Valdor's character. He becomes a lot more darker, and also, rather than, you know, it must be easy being a custodian, because you always know you just have to do what the Emperor wants you to do. But then, after custodian sort of starts wielding this, uh, Valdor starts wielding this weapon, and obviously the Emperor becomes a bit more distant from him because he's, he's on the Golden Throne, he starts doubting what the emperor's will really is in this kind of thing it's really really interesting
1: that sounds um, awfully heretical <laughs> well
2: i know and it's even more heretical when you think it's in the hands of the, the captain general um so yeah so that's my um my um number one chase excellent really good options there jay
0: uh really good options all around um really um there's so much to choose from there's so many iconic weapons it's hard to pin them down to to three. In fact, I couldn't, I I chose four. We should
2: Um, should do top three orc weapons. Some of the orc weapons are ace. You know, some of the guns and melee weapons that they use. Yeah.
0: You're not wrong.
1: It's a good idea for a future top three.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Shall we find out what the community have chosen? Absolutely. I think we should. So let's uh, take one final pause and we'll be back with the final section of the podcast. So it is time for the community top three. And we're going to start over on Facebook with Daryl Calderwood. His third choice is fanatics. Um, I suppose they are just living <laughs> weapons, <laughs> aren't they? Hell Blaster. I should not um, obviously the plasma guys and the Doom Diver uh, is the goblin, is the goblin, the weapon, ass I think it is. Uh, Brian Dennis has gone for ancient blades and spears on death rattle skeletons. A horde of skeletons is rather creepy. Absolutely. The soul splitter weapons of the Chaos Chosen, just the best name. And the humble bolter. If a rocket bullet firing gun can be humble. Jem Jackson says the death strike missile. ICBMs for the tabletop. Brilliant. Yeah. I want one of those for my guard army at some point. Uh, His second choice is Vulcan's Talisman of Seven Hammers. No spoilers, but it's very on brand for its ultimate creator. And his top choice is the Vortex Grenades from 2nd Edition. Lands on you dead, near you dead, moves into you dead, the field, drops you on it, dead, brutal. And finally, on Facebook, we've got Curtis. He's gone for Ikit Claw's Nukes. That's from uh, the, the good old Skaven, the iconic Bolter. And Dr- is it Drachnion? Drachnion. uh yeah. the Demon Sword? Yeah, um, Abaddon's, no, nope, I've, I've said his name wrong, haven't I? Abaddon. Abaddon's sword. Um, excellent. What have we got over on Twitter, Matt?
1: Well, Evan says the Dawn Blade. Who doesn't love a mysterious blade with strange powers? Uh, Commissar Yorick's Power Claw. Don't count yeah. the old man out. <laughs> Rumour like is his laser eye was good yeah. as well. Uh, and number one, the literal Warhammer oh, morass Martin Johnstone says Gotrek's axe. The humble space marine Bolter and Galmaraz. I'm, I'm sensing a theme on the top three this week. Anonymous Rex says the Soul Drinker's Soul Spear, the weapon once wielded by Dawn himself. Ooh, did not Ooh. know that. And I number two, Galmaraz. And number one, the mighty Orc Attack Moon, used by the orcs in the Beast Riser series. The effects and abilities oh, yeah. of these moons is terrifying in the 40k universe. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Orcs, Pete Allison says the shock attack gun, yeah. the Holocaust kiss, and phosphex. Oh, phosphex is nasty stuff, isn't it? Uh, Honourable mention to the classic shotgun. Ollie Grimwood says the shock attack gun, nothing says Orcish mayhem like a sack load of snotlings materialising inside the target. That's a tongue twister, Ollie. Uh, <laughs> number two, the chainsword, the quintessential flutter melee weapon. And number one, bolt gun. The lore version that fires 0.75 mass reactive armor piercing missiles, not the strength for AP0 ones. <laughs> <laughs> Nevermore says Kixie Tacker's Doom Orb he wanted to use to blow up Beastgrave. yes, Yeah, so the um so this is this is a niche one, but I I approve of it. So the Seraphon, uh, skink Star Master, is that the name of the 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 psychers yeah. for the Seraphon. He has a arcane device which was essentially a nuke that he was going to use to blow up Beastgrave because of all the chaos corruption. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean extreme, but you know, so we take off and nuke the <laughs> from orbit Seraphon style. Um, the rotary flensing sword of the corpse grinder Colts and Taker's Slayer sword that nearly made my list. Darren Winter says the Talon of Horus. The Doom That Wails, and the Sword of Anirion. Uh Rob Warren says, The most dangerous of all weapons, the hobby knife. Yeah, yeah. We've, all, <laughs> we've all felt its kiss. And finally, Jem deducci says, Number three, Timber. The rule for giants and gargons. Hilarious and appropriate. Oh, you used to uh, have a little
2: template as well you could put down, didn't you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, the list for the guard. Its range is longer than the table that you're playing on. True. <laughs> and number one, the Warhammer could it be anything else excellent i i think they're they're better than us uh they are much (laughs) Um,
0: brilliant choices um and also i think shock attack gun nearly broke matt trying
3: to to read that
0: tweet out (laughs) excellent stuff um so yeah that 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 brings us sadly to the end of another podcast do we know
1: what our next top three is matt we do dave we do so (laughs) are you a fan of events is maybe golden demon 1994 your favorite event or maybe you really enjoyed the one of the crusade events at warhammer world well this week i want to know your top three events both conventions and tournaments that you've ever been to excellent so you can get your choices in via our social
0: media and also you can now drop your top three into our podcast channel over on our Discord. And um, so there you go. Another brand new way of submitting your top threes ready for the next podcast, which of course will be in a couple of weeks. Um so yeah, guys, it's been a it's been a great show. Uh, Shane's shame no Andy, hopefully you'll be able to join us next time. Um but yeah, uh, here's to another couple of weeks of fun hobbying. Until then, we'll speak to you all again very soon.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spruise and Bruise podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbrews.com And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruiseandbruise or head over to facebook.com forward slash